Good morning, church. That was amazing. That was amazing. I love that song. It's so good. I hope we'll be singing it a lot in here. And I'm thankful for all those who have led us in worship and prayer. And now we come to this time of sharing the good news, the message. Um, As Noel mentioned, we are continuing in our sermon series entitled Head Scratchers where we're taking a deep look at the parables of Jesus. I like the way that one preacher described parables as stories that stick because they provoke. Stories that stick because they provoke. That's really good. And so, folks, I want to tell you, we got a sticky one today. So we're going to read this provocative parable from Matthew 25. So hear now the words of Jesus. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like this. Ten bridesmaids took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. When the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, all of them became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a shout, Look, here is the bridegroom! Come out to meet him. Then all those bridesmaids got up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise replied, No, there will not be enough for you and for us. You had better go to the dealers and buy some for yourself. And while they went to buy it, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went with him into the wedding banquet and the door was shut. Later, the other bridesmaids came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he replied, Truly I tell you, I do not know you. Keep awake, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Sticky, right? So before we try to handle something this sticky, let's pray together. Lord, you alone are the Word, and you alone have the words of eternal life. Speak, Lord. Speak to us as we are gathered here today, and speak through us as we are scattered in the world this week. Speak, Lord, your servants are listening. And we pray this in the name of the coming King, Jesus Christ. Amen. Now this parable, as you heard, is built around a wedding. And so to make sense of it, it really helps to understand a couple of things about ancient Jewish weddings. Now we don't know exactly how they worked. And just like weddings today, they weren't all the same. But we have enough information to make a rough sketch. So generally speaking, the custom was for the groom to go to the bride's house where the bride and some of the guests and her family were gathered. And there the the groom would haggle with the bride's father over the bride price. And then they all would proceed as a group to the home of the groom's family. And on the way, another group of wedding guests would gather. And in this case, in the parable's case, that's where the bridesmaids are. And when they saw the groom arriving, they would rush out to meet them, and they would all form this celebratory procession 
and go to the groom's house. And that's where the ceremony would take place, and that's where the wedding banquet would commence. Now, normally, this would happen in the evening. So they carried lamps to help them recognize the groom's arrival and to light the way to their destination. Now, in the parable, the groom is delayed, and during the wait, all the bridesmaids, all of them, fall asleep. And when the groom suddenly arrives, everyone fires up their lamps. Now, the wise bridesmaids were prepared, and so they brought extra oil for the wait. But the foolish didn't. And when the foolish maids make a run to the local Lamps R Us, which is apparently open 24 hours, they miss the groom and end up shut out of the wedding party. And while many of the details are open to wide interpretation, the parable's ultimate point is plain. The wise wait well, and they're ready. They are prepared for the return of the Lord. So this parable appears in what's sometimes called the end times sermon that Jesus gives in chapters 24 and 25 of Matthew. And it deals with the second coming of Christ. And that's a subject that is neither comfortable nor common for many of this. Now I can vividly remember the first time I seriously encountered this subject as an adult. My wife, Jamie, had just started attending a Bible study, which for us at that time, that was really unusual. That was a big departure from our selfish and secular activities. But that's what she was doing. And when I got home from work one day, she was a bit more amped up than usual. And after I had walked in the door a short time later, she came up to me really intensely and said, Did you know? I can still remember the look on her face as she said this to me. Did you know that Jesus is coming back someday? Like I'd been withholding information from her. And I was a little scared because I didn't know where this, where this discussion was going. And I think I, I recall that I reached into the cabinet to pull out some potato chips. So I started nervously eating the potato chips. And I said, yeah, crunch, crunch, crunch. I think I might know something about that. And then I plopped down and started watching TV. And that, my friends, is not the behavior is of someone ready for the return of Jesus. And what I didn't realize then was that this parable from Matthew 25 is playing out all around us. We are living in it in this very moment. Like those bridesmaids, we are waiting for the arrival of Jesus Christ the Messianic Bridegroom. And even after 2,000 years, the same questions that confronted them are still confronting us. Are we waiting wisely? And what does it look like to live faithfully in between the already of Jesus' incarnation and the not yet of His victorious return? Now, our common experience as human beings and the witness of Scripture, they give us general guidance on these questions. On the, on the one hand, many people, they're waiting like I did, right? With some knowledge, useless knowledge in my head, with some indifference in my heart, and distracted with the ways of the world, eating chips while my oil ran out. But when it's done wisely, 
Waiting is both an act and an exercise of faith. In his book, Pastor Ben Patterson writes for all of us when he says this, It isn't easy to wait. It demands persistence when common sense says, give up. It says believe when there is no present evidence to back it up. Faith is forged in delay. Character is forged in delay. So why is waiting then is, at a minimum, faithful living? But there's more to this parable than just the general call to faith. Because Bible scholars have noticed how Jesus' end times sermon in Matthew chapter 24 and 25 maps tightly back to Jesus' sermon on the mount in chapters 5 through 7. And in the sermon on the mount, Jesus gave his most dense and detailed manifesto on kingdom life. He told us how to live in the time in between. And there Christ calls us into the upside-down blessings of the Beatitudes, to break the spiral of violence that exists in the world by loving our enemies and showing mercy, to practice true devotion rather than hypocritical piety, to live by trust rather than anxiety, to be gracious rather than judgmental, and to rely on God to meet all of our needs. And at the conclusion on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus uses some of the same language and some of the same images from our parable. For example, he distinguishes between the wise and the foolish, just as the parable does. Jesus says that the wise hear these words of mine and act on them. And he says to the wise, you are the light of the world. Let your light shine. There's the lamps. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. And Jesus also addresses the foolish, saying that they hear his words, just like everyone else, but they don't do them. And when they call out to him, Lord, Lord, he says the same thing to them in the Sermon on the Mount that he says in the parable. I don't know you. And so we see that waiting wisely and having our lamp shine brightly, that demands active faith that both listens to and does the words of Jesus. So let me give you a very specific example of what this might look like. One of the things that the bridesmaids are charged with doing in this parable is to recognize Jesus. Now, in the very next parable in Matthew 25, Jesus says that we can recognize him, that we can encounter him in those who are hungry and thirsty and sick and imprisoned. And when we lovingly serve them, we are lovingly serving him. And our light shines brightly. And therefore, one of the ways that we can prepare to meet Jesus at the end of history is to recognize him and serve him in the midst of history. That's a common element to all the parables. We prepare for the kingdom future by participating in the kingdom present. And all of this, all of what we just talked about is true and right and good. That is the way. Wait wisely. Shine brightly. That is the way. Walk in it. 
And so we could stop right here and be on firm theological and interpretive grounds. But just as wisely preparing for the end of days, it's not about storing up canned goods in a doomsday bunker. It's also not about storing up canned answers to hard and difficult real-life questions. So we need to acknowledge something here. Waiting wisely is very, very, very hard. Because we live in between who we are now and who Christ is shaping us to be. And so we proclaim a gospel of love and mercy and faith and hope in the midst of a world that is filled with apathy and anger and fear and despair, which means we live in this confusing and contested space between God's promises and God's fulfillment. And while we wait, we are being battered. Scripture tells us that we are being buffeted by the world, the flesh, and the devil. And that means we sin and we fail. We get wounded and we wound others. We can grow confused and disoriented. We can forget what we already know. And our faith and our obedience can falter. And when those things happen, our oil runs low and our light grows dim. Happens to all of us. But consider the example, the biblical example of John the baptizer. John had unique insight into the person of Jesus. He had a backstage pass to the Jesus show. Before Jesus was ever a public figure, John saw him in the wilderness, pointed him out and proclaimed, There he is! Look! It's, it's, it's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John recognized Jesus early on. John was the one who baptized Jesus in the Jordan River. He saw the heavens open and the Spirit descending like a dove. And he heard the voice from heaven that said, This is my Son, the Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. John was faithful. And for all these reasons, Jesus said that John was a burning and shining lamp. There it is. That's the lamp. John's lamp burned bright for Jesus. But then, John got himself thrown in jail by King Herod. And for many months, he did his waiting in a prison cell. And there, his lamp seemed to grow dim. So dim, in fact, that despite all he knew, and all he had seen, and all he had heard, from prison, he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, are, are you the one? Maybe I don't recognize you. Are you the one? Are we to wait for another? John's just like us. John demonstrates that in our waiting, we're not just waiting, we are becoming and we are changing. And how we wait determines who we will become. And so like John, our faith in the bridegroom's return is going to be tested. In our waiting, we can't assume that we have enough oil in our lamps, that we have enough love, that we have enough spiritual maturity, enough humility, enough revelation to last. 
at some point in our journey through the time in between, all of us are going to need more oil than we can carry in our own strength. And maybe that's why the foolish bridesmaid said to the wise, Hey, wise, hey, give us some of your oil. That seems like a reasonable request, right? And maybe that's where some of us got stuck in this parable because we think the right thing to do, we think the Jesus-y thing to do would be for the wise to share some of their oil, right? That makes sense. But Jesus is making an important point with this exchange, and it has nothing to do with sharing. He's telling us that when it comes to our character, when it comes to who we are becoming, we can't borrow someone else's preparation. We can't borrow someone else's readiness. But just because we can't borrow someone else's oil doesn't mean that we are abandoned to our own resources. Ultimately, living faithfully in, the, in between doesn't hinge on my performance. It's not our strength that will see us through. It's God's generous grace. And I think the psalmist said it best when he said, It is you, God, who light my lamp. The Lord, my God, lights up my darkness. God's great love for us, God's Holy Spirit is the oil that keeps our lamps burning when we run low. And if we're willing to receive that love, we will be filled and refilled to overflowing. So in addition to all that we've talk about, talked about, when we wait, we also need to contemplate the great and precious promises of God and the promise of the Lord's return. And we can have so great a confidence because we know that the same Christ who rescued us from our personal darkness will return to rescue this world from its present darkness. The same Christ who was murdered unjustly will return and make justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. The same Christ who overcame death will return to destroy death. And the same Christ who proved his love for us by dying for us will again show that love by coming to live with us. Those who wait for Christ like this shall renew their strength. And that's because when we lay hold of these future promises by faith, they become present power in us. That power flows into us. It is the oil that makes us flammable. And when the fire of God's presence and purpose comes to rest on a flammable church, it will ignite. And when that happens, our light will not only shine before others, it will shine for others. And that light will reveal the presence of Jesus and it will illuminate the way to the wedding feast of grace so that everyone can follow it. May the Lord make us flammable in this time in between. And let me invite the band back up. And I just want to address something that's probably running underneath this sermon for some people as they listen to it. 
I want to go back for a moment to that person that I was. The one who intellectually knew something about the second coming, but who chose not to think about it because it filled me with this undefined dread. And maybe you feel something of that queasy dread when the subject of the second coming comes up for you. And it's made worse when you're told that you're supposed to eagerly await the coming of the Lord. If I had been capable of looking deeply into my own heart at the time, and if I had been capable of being honest with myself and with you, I would have told you that I was not eagerly awaiting the arrival of somebody I did not know. And so when we hear in that parable, I don't know you, that hits home for me. Because that was true of me. I didn't know Jesus because I didn't want to, to know Jesus. But even though I didn't know Jesus, I still suspected he was real. And if pressed, I would have told you that I didn't really want him to come back because I was too busy trying to fill myself with all the pleasure of the world to try to make myself happy with the things that I could eat and drink and buy and touch. I loved the world and the things of the world. And I was immature enough and stupid enough to think that the world would love me back. But it didn't. And maybe you in your life have come to realize this too. This world will make promises. And they're going to seem like the great and precious promises. But they're not. And I can tell you from experience, the world will not deliver on those promises. Like an abusive partner, this world will devour your love and consume your heart. But this Jesus, this Christ, this coming King, He is real. And He is really good and really merciful and really forgiving. And His love is pure and powerful and healing and transformative. And I had accumulated so much baggage on my 30 plus years on this earth when the Lord suddenly appeared in my life. And I was scared to death to drag all of that garbage out into the light that He brought. But the Lord was so very gentle with me. And He will be gentle to you. And since that time, He has been so loving and encouraging to me. And He will be loving and encouraging to you. I laid that sin burden at His feet. And He forgave me. And gave me rest. And if you will come to Him in faith, He will do the same thing for you. And so no matter where you are, whether you don't know the bridegroom, or you're running low on oil, you can trust this coming Christ. And if you do, I promise you, I assure you that one day you will be able to say with joy and excitement and anticipation, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen.